Welcome, everyone, to Authors on the Air. My name is Pam Stack, and I'm your host. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. One of the best things about this job that I do, talking to writers and other creative people, is getting to have very special guests come and talk to each other without my blabby mouth in the way. Today is one of those such days. Professor David Morrell is my guest host today. He will tell you why I call him Professor. But in case you have been living under a rock, let me just tell you that David Morrell is the award-winning author of First Blood, the novel in which Rambo was created. Um, David was born in Canada and became a fan of classic television series like Route 66 and you know, two men traveling the States in a Corvette. The scripts that were by Sterling Sillifant combined action with ideas and so impressed David that he decided to become a writer. Um, in, in that vein, he wrote First Blood. Afterward, he became a professor in the English department at the University of Iowa. He taught American literature and simultaneously writing other, other novels, including... The Brotherhood of the Rose, my all-time favorite book, Fraternity of the Stone, The League of Night and Fog. He eventually got tired of being both a professor and a writer and decided to write full-time. So he wrote um, a a beautiful, loving memoir um, called Fireflies, and his novel Desperate Measures uh, was a main character who lost a son, something David can talk to you very much about. Um, he is very, very interested in comics. He's written um, a six-part comic for Captain America, uh, a two-part comic series for Spider-Man and Wolverine. He is also the creator of the Victorian mystery thrillers called Murder as a Fine Art, Inspector of the Dead, and Ruler of the Night. Um, David Morrell is an Edgar Anthony thriller uh, Arthur Ellis finalist and Nero and McCavity winner, a three-time recipient of the Graham Stoker Award for the Horror Writers Association. He is the co-founder of the International Thriller Writers, along with Gail Lenz. Um, he ha- was given a Thriller Master Award, the Boucher Con, World, the World Mystery Conference's Lifetime Achievement Award, and he received an RT Book Review's Thriller Pioneer and a Comic-Con Inkspot Award. I cannot even tell you all the, the books that David has written. Suffice it to say, he's one of my favorite people, and he's also got a surprise guest who's one of my new favorite people. It is my pleasure to introduce to you David Morrell, host for today's show. David. Thank you. Um, boy, that, that's I, I got uh, exhausted listening to... <laughs> <laughs> Everything you were saying about me. Um, thank you. <clears throat> yes, this is this is a special treat for me. Um, one of my uh, favorite new authors is going is joining us today, Jack Carr, <clears throat> and I am uh, thrilled for another reason, apart from the fact that I love uh, Jack's work so much, is that it, to in a in a sort of way, uh, Pam mentioned that I was heavily influenced by a a screenwriter named Sterling Siliphant, and uh, I I basically became a writer because of him. And Jack has said on many occasions uh, that um, my Brotherhood of the Rose novel was a springboard um, for you uh, to want to be a writer, and so I wondered if you would talk about that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on, and the honor is truly mine. I mean, to, to... One have have met uh, one of my all time uh, greatest heroes, David Morrell, well, and uh, then you have gotten to know but, each other. Uh, <laughs> oh, but I but what, what, in every interview I get um, I get asked, so how did you did you always want to be a writer? They ask, or did it? Did you just wake up one morning and decide to do it? It's a it's one of the questions that I get asked almost every single time, and so I talk about you in every single interview. So even if uh, if we're not corresponding that day by by email or something like that, uh, I'm thinking about you every day because I'm always asked about this and uh, Brotherhood of the Rose cemented me 
on my path both into the SEAL teams uh, and uh, on the path to become a writer. And that was because back in those in those days with, before the Internet, you couldn't just Google special operations or Google Navy SEAL and go down a rabbit hole uh, that you can almost never return from these days uh, with information. Right. Uh, you could get a couple things here and there and this, with a couple nonfiction works, but there was a sentence or two, a chapter or two, something like that. But there's that one sentence in Brotherhood of the Rose uh, where you're discussing the, uh, the pyramid, essentially, of special operations. And there's that one sentence where you mentioned SEALs, and I said, this is it. If David Morrell is talking about SEALs this way and mentioning them in this, uh, in this context, uh, that's the path that, uh, that I'm on. That's the mens me. Uh, I'm on the right path. But the, the other side um, of that is that... Yeah, that is, pyramid yep. uh, was... Uh, I remember writing that, and that the SEALs were at the top of the pyramid, uh, fewer people in each um, cadre, and then and and a corresponding amount of intense training that increased as the as it went toward the tip of the pyramid. Um, and uh, and you, you what you're reminding me is in those days when I wrote the book uh, when I wrote Brotherhood of the Rose, which was 80, 1982, 1983. Um, it was information was very difficult. To, difficult to come by. I, I couldn't uh, just Google uh, espionage tradecraft or anything like that and expect to find an easy answer. So I, I vividly remember the difficulty and the interviews with people who were kind enough to talk to me who gave me the tradecraft and information that, uh, that uh, allowed me to write the book. Um, so what I'm curious about, I, I, I want to segue somehow into your work. How, what did you take out of uh, Brotherhood of the Rose that uh, that made you want to be a writer? Right. So that because I was getting uh, those were my main sources of information on the path that I, into the military uh, yes. because the protagonists in those kind of novels had backgrounds that I wanted to have in real life one day. Uh, typically there was Vietnam experience attached to it in those days. Uh, then they made that transition to the, to the CIA. Um, and, uh, but it was the magic. It was the heart. And I know of course now that uh, you are combining the best elements of UK spy fiction and, and US spy fiction to move that ball forward, to, to move the genre forward. Um, but for me back then, I was just enjoying a fantastic read that I couldn't get enough of. Uh, and it was that magic. It was that heart to the story. And I knew that one day after the military, I was going to do, I was going to try to do something like that. And I was going to write. Um, and I was going to give somebody else that kind of an experience that I was having back then reading the novel. So if, uh, if you pin me down and I have to point to one thing, uh, it's not the academic side of it and moving the genre forward because I didn't know that back then. I was just enjoying an incredible story, and it's the magic and the heart behind it all. What you've been doing, um, I've, uh, you have three novels to date, The Terminalist, True Believer, and the new book, Savage Son, and um, I want to pause here to congratulate you um, we're uh, recording this on um, May 4, 2020, and uh, Savage Sun appeared on the New York Times bestseller list yesterday. Uh, yes. And I can only imagine <laughs> the, 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 the thrill, uh, the disbelief, um, all, <laughs> all the number of different emotions that came together when you discovered you were on the list, because the, 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 that's the list. Uh, 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 there are many best-selling lists, but the Times is the list. And uh, uh, what, what happened? What happened in the family? I mean, how, how did you react? Right. Well, so it was, it's a crazy time because of COVID-19. So uh, the publisher doesn't really know who's buying books or are they, are they not and how's that going to affect things. It's, of course, it's impacted the tour and that there's not a tour. So a lot of uncertainty uh, surrounding the whole thing. But, of course, I've, seen, been, I've been reading New York Times bestseller, New York Times bestselling author on the covers of your books for decades. And uh, so it's just something that one day you hope might happen. Uh, and now uh, 
because of you know when the list is going to come out or when people are going to get the word, you know that on Wednesday after your book is published that you're going to find out. Yeah. Uh, so Wednesday afternoon rolled along. It was Wednesday afternoon. You didn't know if it was earlier in the day, later in the day. And then I saw that phone call from my publisher and jumped right on. And she said, uh, am I speaking to New York Times bestselling author Jack Carr? And so that's, <laughs> how, that I, right? really? that's how I found out. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Uh, well, yeah. it's, it's a distinction. You, you'll, it, it'll be, um, it's, it's the way this works is that from now on, it's New York Times bestselling author Jack Carr. Uh, I mean, there's a, it becomes almost a, a, you know, an adjective that automatically goes in front of your name, which is very cool, but it doesn't happen to a lot of people. And anyhow, I just, I, as you know, I smiled um, uh, when when you told me. So about the work. Um, you, what, but the thing that impresses me uh, about what you do, and uh, in a minute I'm going to ask you to describe it, but what impresses me is that uh, you have the visceral quality that we expect from thrillers, um, but you also, um, as Pam called me the professor, I, I just, I can't not be interested in the history of things and you have managed in your work uh, to incorporate elements of the history of thrillers uh, in a way that sort of uh, combines a lot of things and then I believe as a consequence moves your work forward so that other people will then have to take you into account when they want to move forward. So that's a, a very complicated way of saying, what did you set out to do when um, you began, uh, let's say, with the terminal list? Right. So it's uh, and so that was by that is by design, and it would be very unnatural for me not to incorporate uh, history into what I'm doing because I realize that we are uh, what we are is our past experience. Uh, how much history we understand as part of that experience, and then how going forward we apply that. Hopefully wisdom thrown in there along the way because of that experience and because of that study. Uh, so I do that both when I'm talking about military history or tactics, uh, terrorism, that sort of thing, uh, but also the genre in general because I know uh, that all those authors that I always talk about in interviews, and you are at the top of that list, uh, they influence me. They're part of my history, and they uh, are why these books are resonating with people because I grew up studying them, and I didn't know I was studying them at the time. I was just reading them. But what, looking back, that gave me a foundation from which to build. And so I could go back and I can remember what it felt like to read Brotherhood of the Rose, or I can remember what it felt like to read the novelization of Rambo First Blood Part Two, or that first paragraph, that first sentence in Testament, uh, first chapter in Testament. I remember what that felt like and where I was and where I was reading it, uh, but also with The Most Dangerous Game, um, also yeah. with Last of the Breed by Louis L'Amour, uh, and uh, Jeffrey Household, of course, uh, with Rogue Mail. Um, so all of these authors who have moved the ball forward uh, are a part of my writing, just like my understanding of terrorism and insurgencies and warfare is a part of me and part of my writing as well. So uh, there's not really a differentiation there that all naturally comes out as I write. I think you know, I, I told you, you may remember, maybe not, but uh, Jeffrey Household, um, and for those who aren't familiar with the name, it's a British spelling, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, household. And he was known uh, for a, a book called Rogue Mail, R-O-G-U-E, Mail, M-A-L-E, um, which was published in 1939 on the eve of the Second World War. And it's about a British big game hunter who stalks Hitler on the eve of the Second World War. So the publication and the story are almost simultaneous and gets caught on the first page. <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I couldn't, I, he gets caught on the first page. And, and household, it's in, it, in my nature. I, um, when I was starting, and I was in university, and I was writing bad William Faulkner imitations, and uh, someone introduced me, uh, my writing teacher, uh, Philip Class introduced me to household work with rogue mail and i read it and i said you mean you're allowed to write this way and i then wrote 
household a fan letter. Uh, so I have about a dozen letters from him. Uh, they're not a, they're not very expansive. A few are, but uh, it, it's, it's it, thinking about continuity. Uh, uh, household influences both of us. Um, I uh, wind up writing and exchanging letters with household, and now you and I. It's a rare day mm-hmm. in some cases that you and I don't exchange an email. Uh, And um, so uh, let's talk about one of the things uh, when when I first met you and I hadn't read your work, but I uh, the the introduction, the foreword, uh, quote the if you can. This is unfair to you to an author to remember (laughs) after a number (laughs) of books what 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 uh, the sentence was. But do you remember how you began the foreword? Um, to the terminal list. This is a novel about. Do you remember about that? Revenge. Oh yeah. Yes. This is a novel about revenge. Uh, and the second one, I do the similar thing. This is a novel of redemption. Yeah. I thought it was important to start with something that was that was primal, that was visceral, that was hard hitting. And so I wanted that sentence, that first sentence, the first impression that someone had of me and my work was going to be the same. Uh, and that I'll... first. When when had you thought of this? Um, because uh, I was arrested, uh, and and it's uh, it's difficult because I'm, you know, I'm 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 fairly knowledgeable about about thrillers, and and I'm older than you, and I've read more by definition because of the years. Um, and I'm I opened the book, and I said, "Holy cow!" I mean, it just. It uh, yeah, to use a metaphor appropriate to this, it hit me like a bullet. I was, I was stunned. Where did how did you come to think to begin? Did the, did you write the afterward after the novel? I'm sorry, the, the 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 introduction after the novel, or was this something you from the start that you wanted to to begin with? So I wrote it afterward, yeah. but I had a yellow sticky next to my MacBook Pro computer that said revenge. For the entire time I was working on it. And I got that from, and I, I misinterpreted it in my head. So for years, I thought that Stephen Pressfield had said it uh, on a, in an interview. Uh, and of course, he's the author of uh, Gates of Fire, Legend of Bagger Vance, uh-huh. uh, a couple of books on creativity. One's called The War of Art, Turning Pro. But I thought what he said is that he wrote a one-word uh, theme for his novels. And he had that with insight as he typed away. And so I took that, and I did the same thing. And I knew this was going to be a very primal, very visceral, very hard-hitting novel of revenge without constraint. So yeah. I put that there. And later, <laughs> I found out that it wasn't really his idea. It was a playwright's idea, and it was one sentence about the theme of a play. Uh, what, but in my what, mind, in my filters, <laughs> I turned it into one word. So I the, kept everything coming back to that. Was the playwright by chance um, the author of Camelot? Um, I don't think so but it's uh, 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 uh i do Alan have Jay a learner because um i and i when i teach writing i i suggest to students that this is a good idea often people suffer from what are, is sometimes called writing block because they don't know what they want to say and uh i'm i was i'm always reminded alan J. learner when he was writing camelot now you know this is some years ago and learner and lower no longer talked about as they were at the time, but these these people ran Broadway with My Fair Lady also, and um, the uh, the note he had uh, on the board next to his typewriter was Camelot: How our dreams exceed our abilities. Wow! And that was you know, whenever he was stuck, he said, "All right, what am I trying to communicate? Where am I going?" And and then the next scene would somehow allow him to develop that idea. So you're you're doing something similar, uh, and uh, it can be a good reminder uh, for authors because we have a lot of authors who are listening to us, and many of them beginning authors that uh, it helps to have that focused idea. Um, of where you're going and what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so then you did the, the, the same thing with the second one, that this was about redemption. And I almost That's in the right. third one with Savage Son, I opened the book. You, 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 you faked <laughs> me out because I opened the book and I'm waiting for it. This is a novel about, and you didn't do it. <laughs> I know. 
I know because it's uh, it was I didn't have a one word uh, theme for the third novel. It was exploring the dark side of man. So I had more than one word. So yeah, I started it, it, uh, that preface a little differently. It doesn't work. Now, <laughs> in connection with all this, I uh, talk a little bit about your main character, Reese. Um, the um, and that maybe give yeah. will allow us to get into a sense of you know some of the dynamics of this book because a certain kind of reader would say, well, Jack is somewhat using his life as part of these books, which I know you're not, but um, at the same time, um, this character has, uh, knowing you, this character has some characteristics that you share with him. But anyhow, riff a bit about Reese and, and, uh, and the journey that these books are, take him on. Right. So James Reese is the protagonist, and he's a former Navy SEAL enlisted sniper who becomes an officer. And he's at that stage in his time in uniform when the reader meets him for the first time in the terminal list, where he's going to get out and take care of his family. Uh, things have just happened downrange. The disaster has struck there, and then it strikes on the, on the home front a little right off the bat as well. But what was important to me was that readers would form a relationship with James Reese, that he would be somebody you'd want to sit down and have a beer with, someone you'd want to sit down, have coffee with, talk to, but because you'd want to spend time with someone that you don't like. And if you're going to spend hours in the pages of these novels, I wanted James Reese to be someone that, uh, that you could identify with, but who could also flip that switch and have the skills, training, uh, the experience uh, to get the job done. He wasn't just blindly stumbling into something and figuring it out along the way. Uh, he had this foundation that would make what he was going to have to do believable. But more important than that was that the reader would identify and like him uh, and want to sit down and have a beer with him. So he's definitely not me. He's a much, much better shot than, than I could ever hope to be, much stronger, much wittier. Uh, but uh, he has a background that's similar to mine. So I didn't have to talk to a sniper and find out what it felt like to be in an overwatch position in uh, Ramadi, Iraq in 2006. Uh, and then filter that description or that, what he said about it through, through my personal experience or biases, and then apply it to a fictional narrative. So I could just think about those experiences that I had downrange, and then I could apply those feelings to a completely fictional narrative. So if the feelings are things that uh, seem visceral and real to the reader, that's because the feelings are, it's the story that's completely fictional. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, the, uh, the, the, the thing that impresses me is this is a three book arc, although the readers do not necessarily have to read all two in order to appreciate Savage Son or in the reverse and what have you. They are somewhat standalones, and yet it's, it's an amazing group. And did you, from the get-go, imagine this as a, as, as a group? I did. I imagined it as a, as a series uh, from the beginning just because I always wanted to read. If something stopped, if a series came to an end, I always wanted more. Um, and the ones that were intentionally a series and made it to five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and even onward, uh, I still wanted to find out how that character moved forward, how he evolved, uh, how he emerged, maybe transformed from something that happened in one book that led to another. So I always wanted more. So I knew from the get-go that it was going to be a series, and that was very much by design uh, yeah, um, because I, you know, the ambition here is is really impressive to me, uh, and talking about likability or or character traits, um, my wife uh, enjoys honey, and um, I, <laughs> whenever I see her uh, uh, using honey, uh, I, I think of Reese, who who it's a it's a it it, it occurs often where uh, yes. people recognize this, where he must have the honey with his coffee. <laughs> it's one of those things I wanted to humanize the character because so often uh, in the genre or movies that have characters with special operations background, uh, they are portrayed as almost superhuman. Um, yeah. to, and so I wanted to make sure because I grew up in this 
uh, in this community of people that it all seemed very normal and everybody seems very normal, but then we go downrange and we do a job or we go on a training trip and guys do amazing things, jumping out of planes or diving or whatever it may be. Uh, but that's, that's our job, but we come home and we are very human. And for me, I like honey in my coffee with a little cream. And that's typically not how, uh, my, uh, my teammates like theirs. Most guys, even, even in, in the genre, if you're writing about a character like this, or even in real life, guys kind of like their coffee black. And I always like a little something in there to sweeten it up. So it was something that guys gave me a hard time about, and it was just natural for me to transfer that over to that my, was, to my character. That was going to be one of my questions, <clears throat> whether or not you in fact put honey, uh, <laughs> Every day, and, uh, but um, to uh, as you know, I I have not been in the military. Although I I, I was raised in Canada, and by mm-hmm. the time I came to the United States, <clears throat> I was pretty much past uh, military age. Moreover, <clears throat> um, uh, as an immigrant, uh, it would have the whole thing would have been very complicated. But um, I have, because of uh, my associations and the research, spent a great deal of time with uh, special uh, forces, special ops people, um, rangers, and, and uh, SEALs. Uh, and um, for folks who are not, <clears throat> uh, uh, do not have the privilege of, of um, talking with uh, people at this level in the military, it always it still does, uh, even after many years, um, the degree of politeness, of um, civility, of, um, of interest and in ideas. I was at Fort Bragg once for an event, and a uh, special forces sergeant was my escort, and <clears throat> he was off duty, and he was going home to uh, change into civilian clothes and said, if, you know, do you want to come with me, and then we'll go where we're supposed to go after at, at, for the evening. <clears throat> so I went with him, and while he was changing, uh, I was looking at his books uh, uh, shelves, and there was Aristotle and Plato <laughs> and Socrates and um, the, the kind of books that you would associate with somebody who was taking uh, philosophy classes at a university. And uh, this, to me, has been typical of uh, my experience. And I wonder if you could, you know, describe a little of that from your point of view. Right. So what, makes, what made being in the, in the military, particularly in special operations, which is my only experience, um, so interesting was that so many people had all these different backgrounds. You had people show up that had never seen the ocean before. And the first time they saw it was at SEAL training buds in Coronado, California. Uh, Other kids uh, from from the inner city, other people that were were road scholars that wanted to come in enlisted into the military because they wanted to do that job at that base level Uh, and everything all over the map. Uh, And everyone got to bring those past experiences to the table, which I think made us, uh, a more formidable force in that uh, we could adapt more readily to things that were happening on the battlefield because people came from so many different backgrounds, uh, which I found fascinating. So, so not everybody has Aristotle uh, or Socrates on the uh, uh, on their shelves. Yeah, um, but but people are surprised even if one person or two people or three people do um, because it's not typically what you would expect from someone in special operations uh, that's going out there and doing this kind of work. Um, But really most people are drawn towards anything that's going to make them a better operator. Uh, So in the case of the person you met, they thought that was going to do it, going to help them in some way, shape or form, um, which I'm sure it did. Yeah. To to make themselves fuller and, and to go back to, Something you said in that, uh, just to emphasize, and this amazing thing about the switch uh, that uh, the, the the mild, uh, almost zen-like uh, manner that uh, say I sense in you, um, and yet if you need to go to work, um, there's uh, uh, there's an alternative um, uh, method of thinking. That's it. That's it. I think it's, it's important, but a lot of guys come home from overseas, particularly after September 11th, when we're actually going out there and doing the job, and they come home and they have a hard time turning that switch off. Uh, and I never, luckily, I never had that issue. I mean, after Ramadi 2006 and Baghdad 2006, I came home and I was, I wanted to go back because you're operating at such a high level. You're going out every night. You're doing the job that you've been trained to do. Um, and I kind of, I wanted to go back. I wanted to stay there. Uh, and my wife was like, hey, 
snap out of it. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, so that was the only time where I had a hard time flipping that switch off. Uh, every other time, it was very natural for me to say, oh, now I'm home. I flipped that switch, and now I'm a husband, now I'm a father. Um, and how do I use those experiences uh, from my past few months overseas uh, to make me better at those things or make me, uh, as you would say, maybe a richer, fuller person um, because of them. So, but I was very fortunate as, a, as well uh, in certain things that happened downrange. But that's where I got the flipping the switch thing because I knew it was important to come home and uh, people weren't shooting at me anymore. It wasn't uh, a mortar was not going to land uh, in our bedroom as we're sleeping, which can happen downrange. Yeah. Uh, and it's time to flip the switch and, and be home again. The uh, quality that you're describing um, is very much in your novels. Uh, I, uh, the, as, as you talk about this, I almost am, uh, as if I can remember passages in the books where similar uh, sentiments are expressed. And um, I, I guess, uh, uh, for, again, for people who might not be uh, familiar with your work, um, the, these are thrillers that have a high degree of believability, a uh, high degree of um, information, of history, of uh, ideas, <clears throat> and at the same time, uh, that uh, that uh, visceral experience of of um, action. Uh, that there, uh, it's really it's uh, it's rare uh, when I encounter someone's work who can um, put all that together. Uh, and, I, of course, it's difficult for you to respond to a compliment like that, uh, but it amazes me that you came out of special ops uh, determined to be an author. What was that journey? How long, how, how long did it take to do the first novel? Right, so all of that is really due to you, though. Uh, had I not read growing up, had I not been so passionate about reading, uh, if I had not been, had I not known that that's what I was going to do one day, um, I don't know if I would be sitting here today. I don't know if, I mean, I'm sure people do wake up and decide, hey, maybe I should be an author and write and they research it and they do it. And I, that, that just wasn't my path. Uh, my path was one that uh, allowed me to lay that foundation. So when I got back from my last Iraq deployment and I made the decision that it was time to get out and take care of my family. Uh, it was very, it wasn't a tough decision. It was one of those, and a lot of people agonize over it. And then they get out of the military and then they say, oh, did I make a wrong decision? I need to get back in. Uh, so guys have a hard time letting go. For me, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. And so letting go was, was not difficult. It was time to move on. And I shifted that focus and kind of flipped that switch like we just talked about. Amazing. And, uh, and focus forward. Because um, any, any writer knows how, especially a starting writer, the difficulty of the doubts, um, that spending enormous amounts of time alone, uh, especially when, in your case, you'd been away on, on missions and, and you have a family, um, and uh, under this almost delusion, uh, I've often felt that in my case, this delusion that what I'm writing is something someone else would uh, be interested in. So uh, in a way, it's possible that the discipline of, uh, of your SEAL training and experiences may have helped you to apply yourself to this other goal that, um, I mean, you may be hardwired to, uh, to achieve difficult goals. I think that's a that's a part of it. And I don't know. If, I don't think it was the military. I think it was just kind of uh, innate in me since I was a, a little kid for for whatever reason. Um, but having that foundation really allowed me to take that step and allowed me to make that transition. And maybe it's well, I never doubted that one day I would uh, go from being a SEAL to being an author. So I never wasted any bandwidth on that part of it. I never worried, is this going to be good enough? Am I going to get this published? It was, that was a foregone conclusion. And maybe that's, uh, uh, anyway, I think that helped because it allowed me to focus all my effort on writing and making it the best possible work that it could be. And that first one took about 18 months, give or, give or take, in there. Mm -hmm. um, and for fiction, and for those listening, uh, fiction, you have to have a complete manuscript before you can take it to someone. And typically you take it to an agent. Uh, I didn't know I had to do that. I, did. I went right to a publisher. And I, luckily, they opened the book and read it and wanted it. And then I got the agent. So I went around it, went about it a little differently just because I didn't know the correct path. And I'm glad that I did not know the quote-unquote correct 
path or way to do it because I might still be looking for an agent today. And you, um, you had some you had some help from uh, another author. I did. I had help from Brad Thor, who uh, I spoke to him four months into the about four months into writing the first book, where a friend introduced us, set up a call, and I uh, jumped on this call with Brad Thor, and he uh, it was like an interview. Uh, I think he wanted to make sure that I was writing for the right reasons, yeah. uh, and it wasn't just uh, financial or something like that. Is that I I loved writing, and my mother was a librarian. I grew up surrounded by books and this love of reading, and you know I talked to him about it just the way I'm talking to you about it now, or anyone that. Uh, that I talk about writing with, uh, and I think he he got it after about 15, 20 minutes. He he understood that this was a passion, and I was going down this path, and I was doing it for the right reasons. Uh, and he said, "Hey, uh, I uh, your friend told me a couple of things you did in the SEAL teams, and as a thank you for that, if you write a book, I can let my publisher know it's coming as a as a thank you for that." Uh, and then he said, "When are you going to be done?" And I said, "A year from today." So I called him back a year from, and he said, don't call me in the meantime. He said, I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to read a chapter. Yeah. I'm not going to give you any advice. Uh, but if you finish it, call me back and I'll let them know it's coming. So I called him back a year to the day later. I marked it on my calendar, called him back. And uh, to his credit, it was, it was amazing. He said, is it done or is it as good as you can possibly make it? And I said, well, it's done, but I could probably edit it a little bit here and there. And he said, okay, call me back again when it's as good as you can possibly get it. And so I spent another four months with it and called him back again and said, this is it. This is as good as I can get it. Let's go. And uh, he let the Emily Bessler, Simon & Schuster know it was coming. And uh, uh, sure enough, uh, she opened it, read it, loved it. And next thing you know, we're off to the races. It's a, it's a remarkable story. I know Brad, <clears throat> as I told you next time you speak to him, I told mm-hmm. you in an email, say yes. hello for yep. me. <clears throat> um, and I know how generous he can be. So it's 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 just a heck of a heck of a good backstory. Uh, <clears throat> and he said the right things because some people finish a book and then think it's done when in fact <laughs> the then the fun starts as we oh, try to make up what's in our, <laughs> what's in our yeah, head. The work act, just yeah. Um, so. Um, one other thing. I actually, we're, we're... I actually love that part, though. I love the editing as well. Um, and I hear a lot of authors in interviews talk about how they don't like the editing part, or that's the hardest part. And I love every part of the process. I love the, the research, and I love going back and thinking about places I've been or things that I've done and incorporating that in. And then I love doing the editing and uh, figuring out how to tighten it up and make it a little better or add something here, take something right. out there. I love every part of this process and just it's feel never... so fortunate to be where I am. I had a I had a uh, uh, one of my author friends. He's no longer with us. Vance Bourgeli was his name, and he wasn't a thriller writer. Um, he wrote um, uh, novels about uh, manners, so to speak. Uh, and uh, I, manners is the wrong thing. He wrote, um, uh, if we can think about, uh, say, New Yorker kinds of stories, John Cheever kinds of stories, that that sort of thing. And I I liked him a lot, but he told me. Uh. Hey, I, we were talking about how you know when it's uh, when the book is done, and he says, "When I hate it so much, <laughs> I still remember this. When I hate it so much, I want to wrap it in butcher's paper and strong twine and kick it all the way to the post office." <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I might get there. I'm not quite there yet, but yeah. uh, at some point along this journey, I might get there. We'll see. Uh, I, I just love it. Well, we're all, we we ran over the half hour, but I wanted uh, also. Uh, if you could touch briefly on, because there was an announcement about a television series uh, based upon the terminal uh, list. Yes. Yeah, so uh, once again, I'm very fortunate to uh, have, uh, this is kind of strange. So as I was writing, uh, and I think someone at some point told me or I read, you know, not to think about an actor playing your character, but as a, uh, as a child of the 80s, that was very difficult. It was very difficult for me not to do that. Uh, and I thought of Chris Pratt playing the, the lead role, which yes. is strange because back then he hadn't done Jurassic Park. He hadn't done uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. He hadn't done Passengers yet. He was on a comedy. He was on Parks and Rec on TV, and he had a very small role as a Navy SEAL in Zero Dark Thirty. But what I thought of was all, that, all the films that Tom Hanks did during the 80s and how he had Bosom Buddies on TV and then he had The Burbs and he had Joe versus the Volcano. He had all these comedies. And then in the early 90s, he took a risk and he did Philadelphia. Yeah. And from then on, he just could do anything else he wanted as one of the greatest actors of his generation. And I thought, who is that guy for this generation? Who's that person that needs to stretch, needs to do something different, maybe something darker, grittier, and, and has the acting chops to pull this off? 
and I thought Chris Pratt. And strangely enough, as the first book was getting ready to publish, a friend called me out of the blue, and he uh, he asked first asked if I remembered him, which of course I did. He was a SEAL, and he called me to say thank you for. Uh, I just sat him down in my office and uh, helped him with his transition out of the military, and then I then I didn't never thought about it again. And he called me and said, hey, I wanted to thank you for that. No one else sat me down to talk to me or help me with transition. And I always wanted to say thank you. And I said, uh, that, uh, of course. And he said, I heard you wrote a book that's coming out soon. And I said, yeah, in a few months, I have these galley copies I can send you on. They're like free books and for reviewers and things like that. And he said, well, that'd be great, but I'd like to give one to a friend of mine. And I said, oh, yeah, no problem. Who's that? He said, Chris Pratt. <laughs> so, so he gives it to Chris. Chris reads it. He uh, he snaps a picture of Chris reading it on a plane on the way to some film festival in London. And uh, next thing you know, Chris is reaching out and wants to option it. So it's uh, Anton Fuqua who directed Training Day, Tears yeah. of the Sun, Magnificent Seven, Equalizer. He's uh, he's directing, and Chris is starring. And it looks like an eight to ten part series for one of the streaming services. As soon as I assume that the the pandemic uh, again, we're recording this April or May for 2020 when the pandemic is uh, affecting right. a lot of things. And, and so we'll just ha- have to hope that uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it, that the productions get back on schedule. Um, so yeah, fingers I'm going to stop there. As I said, we're, you know, we had a half an hour and we ran a, slightly over uh, absolute joy uh, talking with you, uh, Jack. Uh, oh, you, I love it. You know my enthusiasm for your work, and if, uh, and and you you had mentioned Brotherhood of the Rose, and I guess we could say that if people enjoyed uh, Brotherhood of the Rose, uh, and and your work evolves from that and is is influenced by it, um, that uh, it would perhaps be a, it, for anybody who hasn't discovered you an entree from my fans into yours. So uh, just congratulations, you've had a stellar uh, beginning, and and again you. You you now made your first appearance on the New York Times list, so that's uh, another um, uh, really exciting moment for you. And before we leave, uh, uh, if you would please remind people about your uh, website and ways that they can uh, learn about you and maybe even get in touch with you. Absolutely. So officialjackcar.com is the website, and there's a blog that uh, my reading list goes up there every month. So I have six books that I highlight every month, and I talk about how those influenced me along my path. And some are professional reading from the military, others are thrillers, uh, and everything in between. So uh, that's up there on my website. Or deep people want to deep dive into some of the weapons or gear used in the book, that's up there too. Uh, and then on social media, it's uh, – Jack Carr USA on Instagram uh, and Twitter and Facebook, but Facebook uh, just reposts from Instagram because three platforms was a little too much for me to handle. You're working working and I'm on Facebook and Twitter, but I'm not on Instagram. It's tough to, um, you know, uh, to to manage everything and and still be a writer. Uh, but I can I can tell people that uh, there there is in fact lots of information and the the list the notes about the books and uh, about the weapons and other things uh, that uh, really very really informative. So I encourage people to um, to do that uh, visit and uh, and can they contact you through your website? They can. They can sign up for the newsletter, and yes. those, that e- that email goes to to me. And I try to get back. I think I've gotten back to everyone so far. It's uh, it's getting tougher and tougher. But I think if I miss someone out there, it was uh, uh, it was unintentional, and it was just because there must have been an avalanche uh, it of, uh, of the things coming in. But I try to get back to everybody because I'm so thankful that uh, that the books are resonating with people and that people took a risk on me as a new author and then maybe told a friend and that's really how all this happened so I uh, feel so so thankful and uh, uh, extremely fortunate so uh, and I know we talked a lot about writing on this uh, in this interview and your website davidmorell.net that is where I direct people that are interested in writing because there are there's so much information on there, so much fantastic information for people, whether they're just starting out or they're at some point uh, along their career as a, as a professional writer or author. Uh, there's so much great information about writing uh, that you shared with people on your website. So I encourage everyone to, to go there and spend a lot of time uh, there and then also with the successful novelist, um, which is uh, David Morell's book, on writing and his journey. So uh, those two things uh, together there, the website and that book, uh, you, will, you will not go wrong if you are starting down this path or if you're anywhere along it. 
<laughs> you know, I, well, I feel like you. you've just done my job. I don't have to do anything now. I, I have to tell you, Jack and David, this is one of my most favorite in-conversation interviews that I've ever had, and I've been doing this for eight years and over 1,500 interviews, author interviews. David, um, you have something coming up exciting in your life, too, don't you? I do I I don't know right not at the moment my life feels very boring what 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 have I got Do you up? have do you have something coming up on film or screen Oh well there are I have um this will sound immodest but uh, I've been around a lot and I've written a lot of of novels uh, in any year I have about four films in development but none of them ever gets made uh, and so this year I had Creepers uh, that, that, that was supposed to start this summer and probably will not. Uh, I have Brotherhood of the Rose in development with NBC Universal, Ooh. but I, that probably will not move forward. Um, I have uh, Testament, uh, which I think has a good chance of being made. Um, I, I know the producer and I know the care with which it's being uh, uh, managed, and also uh, which I, and this I think will get made a uh, adaptation of the Protector for Millennium Films, um, and I think that one might happen. But um, unless I'm drawing a blank on something and my life is more exciting than I know, <laughs> um, uh, I, I don't know what it is. I I do have a short story that's getting a lot of attention in an anthology called The Darkling Halls of Ivy that Lawrence Block edited, yes. and that comes out uh, first of June. And it's a very short story that I wrote called Requiem for a Homecoming, but people who have read it uh, are really blasted by the last few sentences when they realize what on earth has been going on. So I'm excited to have that come out. But what were you thinking? Did well, I just was wondering, because at one time you talked about Brotherhood of the Rose becoming um, maybe a series, do you think that these things aren't happening because of the COVID virus, or, um, um, you know, or, or is there a combination of factors? Well, uh, that, that was sort of a, that just happened. With, uh, with Brotherhood of the Rose and Universal, NBC Universal, um, what, what, what Jack's experience has been uh, preternatural. Uh, I mean, it just—it's not the way business happens. Uh, people, right. movie stars, don't just say, "Yeah, I'm going to option it." So, with Brotherhood of the Rose, for example, that's been in development at three different studios since 2005, uh, and it, it, at one point, Channing Tatum was going to be in it. And he was going to be in it with his director friend, whom I can't remember his name, who was going to direct. And they had made a movie about about uh, fighting in uh, 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 fancy social circles where people pay a lot of money to go to a cocktail party and see people fight. Uh, and uh, the movie didn't do well, and the director fell out of a uh, fashion. So the director was dropped from the movie, and then Channing said, well, if he isn't going to do it, I'm not going to do it, and <laughs> off they went. So this yeah. is the sort of thing. And then it was, I don't know, it was three different studios. And after a while, um, and I tried to suggest to, to Jack, you know, you have to have a um, – uh, kind of guarded response to this that your life doesn't depend upon it because right. there's a lot of heartbreak in in the movie world. Um, yeah, and you know, yeah, um, I'm keeping my expectations very low. Uh, that way, if it happens, I'll be uh, pleasantly surprised, and if it doesn't, then that's what I expected. So, I'm well, to, yeah, I, I'm then, managing expectations that way. And then there's the thought that. Um, I mean, look at, uh, you know, my my views on the recent Rambo film. Yeah. I mean, yes. And then there's the thought that, oh, my God, that can happen. I mean, so be careful what you wish for, um, uh, that that you wind up with, uh, uh, you know, that uh, I'm, re I'm reminded of, um, oh, gosh, I can't think of the, the author's name now. He was very famous, uh, uh, well-liked by critics. And uh, Burt Reynolds made a movie. Uh, uh, that was sort of a comedy when the novel was not a comedy, and it, and it, you know, it was just wretched. And the author wound up sort of having to live down the movie, and it affected mm. sales for a couple of years. So, yeah. uh, you know, you, you it, 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 at best you hope it'll be okay, but not great, rather than awful. <laughs> but well, I think I, that the, 
with the folks in, that uh, Jack has on on uh, Terminal List, I, I'm I'm sensing good stuff. Good oh, for you. Thank well, you. Um, uh, it's good to know that Jack and I adore the same book that we love, uh-huh. Brotherhood of the Rose. Well, thank you. Um, and and if it doesn't get made, I'm not going to be disappointed because that book changed my entire reading life. And well, as I think fine. it did, I think it did for you too, right, Jack? Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. I talk about. I was just on the Joe Rogan podcast, and it came up within the first uh, two minutes, I think, of being yeah. on that uh, that podcast. So it comes up in almost every interview that uh, that I yeah. do, and uh, uh, for good reason. Yeah, you know, after I got your first book, Terminal List, um, I I realized that you liked Brotherhood of the Rose from from David. And, and David and I email occasionally, and I said, oh, did you see this? Jack Carr likes your book. He's, and he said, oh, yeah, we're friends. So so now all of your books are next to each other on my main book. Oh, that's cases. cool. Like, oh, wow. You've been, you've been kind of married. You, you've been married together there on my bookcase. I love <laughs> it. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and, and Such I, an I honor have, for I have, me. Thank you. I have 15 bookcases in my small apartment, but one room is just a library. But my main bookcase, which I'm looking at right now, has all my David Morrell books and all my Jack Carr books. I want to thank you both so much for taking so much time to come and, and talk on Authors on the Air. It is the highlight, the highlight of my year. And we I'm love sure... Your Oh, thank you, David. I, I so appreciate it. Jack, I'm glad I got to meet you at probably one of your last author signings for a while. Yep. Where and, was that? Um, yeah, at the Florida. Southwest Readers Fest here in Fort Myers. Oh, yeah. So, Jack, I have an offer to make to you. Um, I yeah. invited David to come and interview you. Who would you like to come back and interview? I would like to come back and, and interview David. I didn't, uh, I okay. didn't know it was going to go like this today, and I, there's so many questions I want to ask him. Oh. Uh, so okay. I would love to come back and, and do that. Well, my, my okay. job today was I wanted to make sure that uh, uh, people became uh, intrigued enough about your work <clears throat> that without giving away a lot uh, you know, of uh, plot elements to uh, make them intrigued to, you know, to sell more books. Thank you. Okay, well, so we're going to appreciate we're gonna, that, but I can do the exact same thing the other way. I can come, okay. Uh, okay. I would love Let's to talk do to, that. to David and interview him. Okay, right, then the I'm going to I'm going to send uh, some dates to David and he'll forward them on to you and and we'll make that happen. In the meantime, the magnificent David Morrell, don't forget, he is the creator of Rambo. He has a Victorian mystery series. I'm telling you, his thriller series is amazing. Uh, Brotherhood of the Rose, my favorite book of all time. Um, he is the co-founder of International Thriller Writers. Uh, and Jack Carr, who burst onto the military thriller scene, who has just been named to the New York Times bestseller list, a place I think, Jack, that you will find yourself often. Oh, thank you so much for the kind words. I sincerely appreciate that. And thank you, David. You're for so doing welcome. This. Oh, my uh, pleasure. It's an honor to talk to you. I'm sure we'll and be exchanging more emails. Yes, oh, you yeah. will I'm be. Email you right now, actually. <laughs> thank you so much for being with me. Thank you, listeners, and thank you, Mom and Dad. I'll see you later. Mm-hmm.